0: or online at victoriasecret.com. Welcome to You Down, a production of Shondaland Audio
1: in partnership with iHeartRadio.
2: It sounds so basic, but so many people come up to me, whether it be at a panel or reach out to me, oh, I have this amazing idea, can you help me? No, write it. Anybody can have a good idea. What proves
1: if you're a writer is if you write. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to you Down, you Down, a podcast where four funny honeys come together and talk about what's going on in the culture. I'm Shakira Janae Bay. I'm Mamiya Aforo. I'm Yasmin Mune Watkins.
3: And I'm Ashley Holston.
1: But collectively, we are known as Obama's other daughters.
3: Mm hmm. That's us. Nice. That's
1: us. Nice. Right? right?
4: That's us we happy today's a great day it's good time (laughs) Uh, you guys we have so much to celebrate this week and in this life but today we're asking are you down with black women in film as our country continues to shine as one of the most diverse places on the planet People wanna hear stories that reflect their lived experiences and that are made by creatives who can tell the most authentic stories because they've lived them. According to UCLA's 2020 Hollywood Diversity Report, minorities make up over 40% of the population, but are only 15% of the directors of top grossing films. And we know it gets smaller when you talk about women, right? We wanna dive into how black women fit into the picture behind the scenes, and joining us for the discussion today is prolific writer-director and one of the directors of our favorite movies, Love and Basketball, Gina Prince-Bikewood. But before we get into that convo, um, let's check in with each other. Ladies, how are you feeling today?
3: I saw a meme or, you know, just, uh, I don't know what you call these things. I feel old when I say meme. Um, I, me saw, <laughs> I saw one of them children put up a, a, a status <laughs> that said um, our VP wraps her hair at night. And mm. that was probably mm. the most connected I felt. Like, I just felt like, wow, that, uh, that like someone who represents me or who is close to my experience is has one of the highest uh, jobs in the land. It's pretty
1: world. cool. Very, Crazy. very cool.
3: Amazing.
1: <laughs>
4: Destined.
1: Let's call out our AKAs. Shout out, shout it. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm not right. an AKAs. There
4: are no AKAs can't. here, yeah. but shout out to
1: <laughs> Shout out to the AKAs. Um, yes. Y'all got one in office. Um, <laughs> I'm just missing y'all. <laughs> wow. wow, Kira. Wow. wow, I'm such a troll. I know they're both deltas, so um, <laughs> I just had to.
3: Um, no, but it's supposed to be all Greek love anyway. Y'all, yep. yes,
1: HBCU love, Greek
5: yes. Love. I think for me, what is most exciting about this time, and y'all already know how I feel after three and a half years of consistent protest, BLM pushed Jackie Lacey out of office. Woo! I did a dance. <laughs> I did a cartwheel. Y'all know my birthday was election day. And I was just so ecstatic that our work and our hard labor, especially on the local level, really panned out the way that we wanted. We got Measure J passed, which is defunding the police in action and taking pr- uh, money away from the prisons and putting it into community services. We had Prop 17 passed, where formerly incarcerated folks can vote in California. Y'all, it's a new day, it's a new dawn, and we have reclaimed our power, and I'm just, it was the best birthday gift that I could ever ask for, so you know I'm happy.
4: Tap, tap. Yes. Um, If you're not happy right now, this is the wrong podcast for you. Stop (laughs) listening. Unlisten to everything you, I honestly feel like I broke up with an abusive ex, and like a weight has been lifted off. Yes. I just feel like I removed—I couldn't participate in anything Donald Trump was doing, so that part of me did not exist for the past four years. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I Mm -hmm. just—I feel like this person is finally gone, and I—or will be gone soon. And I don't have to deal with them as much anymore. And I know. For you that,
3: know, I'm very excited.
1: <laughs> That's so true. Mommy. Like, I feel like I didn't know much about him until he became president. I didn't watch <laughs> the day going to show you're fired. I, Whatever. I, you know, like literally the most insignificant human. And then a whole joke to me, like when uh, <laughs> when he became the leader of our country, it was like, how did this happen? Wait, what country am I living in? <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel you.
5: For me, I am both uh, in a state of celebration, particularly on the local level, as I mentioned, and trepidation. I hope that all the folks who were like throwing all of their their energy behind Biden and Harris don't let up. And that, you know, just because they're in office doesn't mean that Black folks are no longer being killed by the police. And I think that there's a real, like it's celebrate, yes, and we got to get to work because... The material conditions of our lives mean that we are still in danger. Um, And so I hope that people don't rest too much on this small victory because this is just the beginning of the work that we have to do.
3: I'm glad you said that, yes, because I feel—I was a little—like, I—people were honking their horns and Mm -hmm. celebrating in the streets and, like, I— did not feel that way. And I was like, I don't I felt I try to sit with it and figure out, like, why is it that I'm not celebrating in the streets? And I thought back to 2016 when Trump won and how like sad the world felt. And I was nannying for a family at the time and the wife took off work mm. was like, you know, I can't go to work today. So I'll be home while you watch my child. Mm. And I was mm. just like, oh you're the, the, like this is a sad time for you i'm sure like by proxy but like in all actuality for me it affects my life in a real way right. <laughs> and i have to be at work and you are here crying so <laughs> and so it's like that celebration felt like for them for uh, for someone else like yeah. i still have to be uh, there's still, still work for me to do. Right.
5: Still got to contend with police brutality. Still got to contend with uh, rent and evictions and all just all the things. Hospital bills aren't stopping. COVID is st- like there's a lot of work. And one thing that I really love, I'm going to share just a brief couple. Uh, I came into this ready. Uh, but Black Lives Matter issued a statement. Um, the Global Network issued a statement. To Biden and uh, Harris and some of the things that they said in this letter, which you can see it um, at Black Lives Matter at any of their instas. But they say, so without the resounding support of black people, we would be saddled with a very different electoral outcome. In short, black people won this election and we want something for our vote We want to be heard and our agenda prioritized. We issue these expectations, not just because Black people are the most consistent and reliable voters for Democrats. Come on, Stacey Abrams and all the folks she organized with in Georgia, right? She says, uh, the most consistent and reliable voters for Democrats, but also because Black people are truly living in crises and a nation that was built on our subjugation, President-elect Biden and Vice President Harris, both of you discussed addressing systemic racism as central to your election campaigns. Both of you also expressed regrets regarding your record on issues impacting Black people. The best way to ensure that you remedy past missteps and work towards a more just future for Black people, and by extension all people, is to take your direction from Black grassroots organizers that have been engaged in this work for decades. And y'all, I know that was a mouthful, but I really hope that they show up for us in the ways that we showed up for them, because there is no doubt that Black folks and Black women showed the fuck up. So Biden and Harris, welcome to the presidency and vice presidency. Girl, we happy to see you, a Black woman that wraps her hair. I show the fuck hope you show up for us, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that on that. That's how I feel. Ooh, <laughs> I had to get that off my chest, guys. Thank you very much for letting me. Is it all that.
3: off, or is there more? I no, like there's it... so
5: much more. We could have a whole episode on this. I feel so many ways. Trump is out, and I'm i glad, <laughs> but there are still racists within the Democratic Party. So there's still
3: racists everywhere. I just hope, I don't I don't want folks to put too much steam in Harris and Biden making your life a uh, uh, good, well, like. Yeah. I feel like
4: that's what happened with Obama. It and is. And everyone mm-hmm. was
1: like, fuck Obama. And it was like,
3: it's like you I mean, also it's just have a to vary
1: a yep. lot. You know who I always uh, I find to be the loudest in regards to like, fuck, da, 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 are the people who don't vote.
4: This election was such a great demonstration of people really being fed up. And being like, we cannot afford... I mean, I was scared at one point before they started counting the absentee ballots like that Trump was going to win again. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. White supremacy wins once again, but thank God for the absentee voting and early voting and people really just listening and being like, this has got to end. This is not what this country stands for. It already has is riddled with so many deep-rooted issues. Why do we need a quote-unquote leader who exacerbates all of those
1: things. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's plenty of work to be done. Um, this is day one, y'all. Um, and I am I hope the same. I do hope Biden and Harris show up and do the work. And I am in a place of gratitude for the little wins, even if there's so much more work mm-hmm. to be done. Uh, this election could have went real sideways. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen from the past four years, We have I've seen personally a more hateful country and more people real out of pocket and feeling comfortable with it. So, just knowing like, I don't know, I maybe I won't be called nigger with a hard R uh, at the supermarket. (laughs) I don't
4: know. I mean,
1: (laughs) no, you still gonna get called
3: nigger. There's still
4: the same chances actually, if not (laughs) more. Sadly, I know. It literally did nothing to change that. I I do think, Yas, what you said about the organizers who were real like Stacey Abrams, the people in Atlanta. Black um, Lives Matter. Black Choose Lives Colors, Matter. Like
5: super majority. My friend William
4: Bruce, who like just a lot of people who are in the streets, like physically mobilizing people to get them to vote like uh-huh. that. Thank you to all and all the poll workers, the counters, like the people who really were like doing the physical labor, black women, cause we hold it down. One thing that I really love,
5: um, BLM had this campaign. It was called Vote and Organize. Now we're at the step where we can continue to organize and create the communities that we want and to hold these elected officials accountable. So cheers, y'all, to your journey of organizing and getting it together and showing up, showing up for yourself and your community. But that being said, it is time for us to jump into our main topic this week, Black women in film. Mm-hmm. And helping us dig into the convo is the writer, director of Love and Basketball, the one and only Gina Prince Bites Oh my God. There she is.
3: Really exciting whoop day, guys. There
5: she is. Whoop whoop. Oh, we can't wait to get into this convo. But before we do, a quick little breaker, Ruski. See you oh guys in a sec. Oh
3: my goodness. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Academy member, director, writer, producer, wife, mother, and most importantly, former Hooper, Gina (laughs) Prince-Bythewood. Yes. (laughs) Um, You guys have seen her movies like the cult classic Love and Basketball. If you haven't, you must live (gasps) under a rock. Um, also The Secret Life of Bees, Beyond the Lights, and most recently, The Old Guard on Netflix, which was one of the top 10 streaming movies this summer on Netflix. Huge.
2: Number six. Number six of all time.
0: Dang, Yes.
4: And of course, TV shows like A Different World, Fox's Shots Fired, and Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. And she and her husband and producing partner, Reggie Rock Bythewood, recently signed a first-look deal with Touchstone Television. Gina is one of the most respected directors in the game today. And we are honored to have you joining us, G. And my former boss. Um,
3: yeah. I'm so lucky I was about I got to say, to- you
2: gotta throw in the connection. You're pronouncing my last name correctly, so I sincerely appreciate that. I well,
3: thought I had it, and now I've heard By the Wood and "Blythewood," and I'm going to be messed <laughs> up.
4: <laughs> That's okay, too. Well, gee, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but it's really important because you are an inspiration to so many people. But yes. what inspired you to become a writer-director?
2: I started out just loving to tell stories, and that started when I was a little girl. And loved going to the movies. My parents took us to the movie theater every Saturday because they had a children's kind of program and there were four of us. And so it was easier to just kind of drop us off there on the weekend. So that definitely started it. me reading. um, We lost our TV when I was nine. It it broke. And my parents, to the horror of me and my siblings, were like, you know what, we're not going to fix it. And uh, oh, <laughs> we went a couple years without it, but that got me into reading, and I would literally go to the library every week and check out twenty books and wow. just read, yes. Uh, yes. you know, a couple books Teen a day. Books. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that absolutely fueled my mind, and and it was just cool to read and start to picture stuff. So I know that all those things kind of fostered that love of storytelling. But in terms of the kind of movies I want to make and get inspired by, that certainly happened when I was 17 and uh, went to the movies, and a trailer for She's Got a Habit came up. And I remember the feeling of just being overwhelmed by really for the first time looking up on screen and seeing myself reflected. And yeah. I just wanted to do that. And uh, from that point forward, it was about how can I give other people that same feeling that I got in
4: that moment? Mm. Wow. wow. Isn't that crazy that Spike produced Love and Basketball and that movie yeah. w- had such an impact on you? Like, full circle. Full right. circle.
1: Right? <sighs> With The Old Guard, you became the first Black woman to direct a major comic book film. How was it navigating uh, that space?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm not going to lie. That was in my head every single day. That uh, are, are we allowed to curse on this? Yes, please. It's
5: welcome. (laughs) Bring your full self.
2: Uh, I mean, every day it was like, I can't fuck this up because if I mess up, we know how Hollywood is. Like, you don't get second chances. And if I mess up, they're going to say, oh, well, women and black women aren't ready. So I, I live with that pressure every day. But for me, and it's probably the athlete mentality, but I use that to fuel me and i definitely know what patty jenkins did with wonder woman that stayed with me all that pressure she had seriously if she had messed that up i wouldn't have been doing the old guard like she opened the Mm. door absolutely and so for her to succeed on on, in such a way with all that pressure was kind of my north star in terms of Mm. just just kind of staying true to that but I don't think that's a bad thing to keep that in my head. And it was also something Kiki and I talked about a lot. Kiki, who played Niall, you know, our excitement about and the responsibility we felt in being able to, to put a black female hero into the world and how important that was. But it wouldn't mean anything if we didn't make a good movie. So we had to put our all into it. So there's a beauty in it and having that much money where your imagination never has to be tempered. It's kind of like you think Um, it and you can do it. But with all that money comes a lot of voices. So it felt like the fight for my vision was, I had to fight harder, you know, because there were so many voices. But again, to work with just an incredible crew, it was hard, the hardest thing I've done, given it was a 63 day shoot,
1: which is, you know, a lot of
2: stamina. And I was away from my family. And that just gets surreal. But Thankfully, they knew why I was doing it and believed in me and was supportive as well. And thank God for FaceTime, because that has changed, (laughs) seriously changed the game. Just doing that phone call isn't the same thing as being able to to see each other.
4: Were you actually in Morocco? No, that was Arcadia. No, I'm kidding.
2: No, we, we, uh, no, Morocco was amazing. That's, that's the other good thing about doing a movie like this. And I got to take my son, my older son. We went to France. We went to, you know, Nice and yes. France and Paris and Morocco, Marrakesh, Air Food, oh, and, yes. and obviously London, and, and it's all paid for, and you're eating at amazing restaurants, and it's, it's just dope when you look and say, wow, this is my life. Um, but mm-hmm. we wanted that scope. I didn't want to have to fake a lot of things, and Morocco gave us so much. We were able to shoot Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Morocco for Morocco all uh, within there and and that was just wow. a gift and um and I I loved Morocco. It was the first time I'd been there and look forward to going back. The food is amazing. The people were amazing. So um yeah.
5: I was literally just about to ask if your family came and the fact that they were like, oh we going to these fancy restaurants in the mm-hmm. south of France. We
4: going <laughs> They were like bump your FaceTime <laughs> So in terms of actually directing, you have, you know, a very wide range now and getting wider by the day. But what is the main difference between directing an action film versus what we met you as a romantic um Lovey Dovey. Uh, I already told you that Love and Basketball is the first movie that made me cry. I don't know if that's why you hired me, but I thought it was. Always. It helped, certainly. <laughs> you know,
2: better, better up the person you're uh, interviewing with. It, it's it's really interesting that you ask that because there there is a connection. And for me, I approach the action scenes the same way I approach a love scene, which is that. Like a love scene, an action scene needs to be character-driven. It needs to have a beginning, middle, and end. It needs to have a story to it. If you see a love scene in a movie and you're not connecting with it, it's because they don't have those elements. Then it's just two actors simulating sex. But when there's a story to it, when it's pushing the story, when it's revealing character, that's when you're invested and it feels real. And it's the same with action. You need those elements or it's just two actors, you know, throwing fake punches. So... Um, really attacked it that way. Wanted to make sure every action sequence had a story to it, that each one felt different, and they should feel different because they're telling different things about character and story. Having that mindset was was very helpful in terms of stepping into this genre that I hadn't done. I'd done you know little things, but this was a whole nother scale, and to. Not make it so intimidating, I fell back on things that that are familiar to me and and I was happy to see that a lot a lot of things translated
4: yeah, I love what you said about approaching it the same way because it's the same beast. every scene is a scene
2: yeah i mean i I'll say one thing, and I've said it before, but it it was so important that when I got this gig to be able to talk to Ryan Johnson, who has just been so dope and so supportive of me, and you know he did the last jedi and I had asked him. How do you not get overwhelmed by the bigness of what you're doing? And he said, no matter how much money you have, you have to tell a good story first. And, and mm. being able to remind myself of that as well. It's like, again, Beyond the Lights was $7 million, and I got to tell a good story. Old Guard was 10 times that. You still have to tell a good story, or nobody's going to care about all those other bells and whistles that you've you know added to the story.
3: In that, can you tell us how you go about breaking down, attacking, telling a good story?
2: Wow. Um, Yeah, we want to know. We want to write good stories, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, then I'll I'll, I'll focus more on the things that I've written and directed. You know, Greg and I, Greg Rucka, who uh, wrote the graphic novel and then the script for Old Guard, you know, did such a tremendous job, but was also open to, when I came aboard, the two of us working together, just to... You know, there are things that that I felt could still elevate the material and he was absolutely open to that because I approached him in a respectful way as opposed to, you know, your script is a blueprint and I'm just going to tear it up. I was like, nah, I'm here because you wrote something beautiful and created these incredible characters. Can we push, you know, this a little bit further? But when I write something I'm going to direct, like, full on, it it always starts, starts with, like... Something pops in my head, whether it be an image or uh, just a scene. And then I start Mm. to build on it. And it's the most exciting time. And that's what you need. you got to give it time when you have an idea. When I start to write, I'm literally, for about a month, I just sit actually in this chair here with a notebook. And I just think. And sometimes I drift off into sleep. But it's like this cool, like, half-sleep half not, and you just start to picture the movie and you start to create these characters and then they start to talk to you. And, um, and I just pull in anything and it's, it's just the most fun time because it's completely free. It could be anything. You're always asking yourself, what if, what if the character does this? You know, I think uh. about um, Beyond the Lights. I was at Alicia Keys' concert at the Hollywood Bowl and she was singing Diary. And if you've ever heard her sing that live, Or just go on YouTube. It's so amazing because she also has this guy who always sings the male part, and he's dope too. But Mm -hmm. it's just an epic song and an epic love song. And I remember I was sitting there, and suddenly this image of this woman hanging off a balcony popped into my Mm. head. And then it just started building and building. And then you start. So from that, it was pulling in personal things that I wanted to, to talk about. You know, something my family had attempted suicide and and wanted to really deal with that and the fact that they were in this, such a dark place, but at a certain point they got out of it and their life is so much better now, but understanding to choose life, that was really the theme I ultimately wanted to say with Beyond the Lights, but just pulling in that, it was pulling in stuff that I had learned about my birth mother because uh, I was adopted and how I came into the world and just want to deal with that, and also my love hate relationship with hip hop, Um, <laughs> where you know it's like I love it, but the way women are treated yes. um, in hip hop is is horrifying. And you just look at what's happening with Meg. Yeah, yeah, yes. We just gotta wrap our arms around her. So I wanted to deal with that. It's like all these things I just wanted to talk about. You just they just filter and you think and think and think and you just write and write and write and so. By the end of that month, you know, my little notebook is about halfway full. And then I start to write and it's amazing how many times I go back to that notebook, whether it be for a line of dialogue that popped in my head or a character trait or a scene Mm. or a moment. So, yeah, I love I love that that time.
3: I love the idea of it feels like a meditation, like the half sleep. And it's (laughs) just like letting it come to you because i i was listening to someone talk about the writing process and how we try to force it i'm sit down here and i'm gonna get all these words (laughs) out and i'm gonna make sure i write five pages (laughs) today and it's like sometimes you gotta let it come you gotta be patient that that the idea of time is uh it makes me feel good (laughs) (laughs) i I have time i can be patient with myself yeah
5: So one thing that I was really excited to chat with you about was, like, uh, you and Reggie are a couple goals, business partners, and my husband and I write together sometimes, too. How do you guys support each other? What is what is that process like?
2: You know, since, you know, foremost, we started out as best friends. And that's that's just a beautiful thing, you know? You met
4: on the set of A Different World.
2: We did. We were hired a week apart and just so cool immediately clicked and um yeah it's interesting so we don't often literally co-write something what we do is whether he writes something or I write something then we are absolutely the first eyes on it the first read the first the hardest on it than anybody and that's what you should be for each other you should be the hardest because once you put it out in the world they don't give a shit about you, so make sure before it leaves the house that, that it's it's been through, and the thing is, that's easy to say, but, you know, when I get notes from Reg, sometimes I just get an attitude. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That's so real! And <laughs> and you know, yeah, you've worked please. on this thing, and you think it's ready, and then for him to read it and give you all these notes and say, no, it's not ready yet, and literally for a day I'll just be like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> um but then I start thinking and then nine times out of 10 it's like damn he was right. And mm. okay, let's make it better. Yeah. And do dig in and and do that. Um and we we do that for each other and it's it's hard sometimes of course to say to somebody it's not ready yet or it needs to be better. Nobody wants to hear that and certainly you want <laughs> your your spouse to love what you're doing and be proud of the work that you're doing but That is love, to be hard on each other and harder, as I said, than than anybody else. And the key is Mm. there's no competition. Like, Mm. I, I, I want him to be on that stage getting an Oscar before me. Like, we just want the best for each other. And so that's why we put in the time to help each other, make sure our work is really good.
1: With helping each other, I mean, how do you stay balanced as a mother I mean, a boss, a wife. You got a lot of... <laughs> a
3: lot of
1: titles.
2: Titles. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, uh, I mean, it, it's really hard. It is hard. Uh, I have... Well, foremost, I love working. So that's, that's a beautiful thing. But I also love being a mom. I, like, my happy place is sitting um, at my boys' baseball games. Like, it's just... You know? Um, are so, you more
5: soccer mom? Or are you, like...
2: Uh Like I had to check myself uh <laughs> when I heard myself on video because we were recording my older son when he was playing basketball uh, in high school, and I was shocked. I was like, "Oh my God, that is what I'm sounding <laughs> Like screaming. It, it was, but I'm an athlete, you know, so it's like it's that thing. But uh, it was terrible. So that was a, a absolute wake up call. But the problem is, I'm always recording my son on my phone. And the other day, he was like, "Wait, why'd you why'd you groan like that?" <laughs> <laughs> after, he, after he got out, I was like, oh, got to be careful with that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is an absolute hard balance. Um, and it has been ever since, I mean, this 20 years I've been in the business, it, it's it been hard. And honestly, I feel like it's harder now that they're older. I always thought, oh, when they get to be a certain age, it'll be easier But it's almost like once they get to high school, they need you more. And I think part of it is also they can articulate. Um, Because the first time I was away from the kids was Secret Life of Bees. And I shot in North Carolina. And they were, I think they were five and eight. And it was surreal. And there wasn't FaceTime then. And, um, you know, Reg at one point said, okay, Toussaint is walking around the house having imaginary phone conversations with you it was like we, we got to get out there and I just I mean I'll never I'll never forget it I was on set and they pulled up in the car and the boys were like literally trying to crawl out of the car <laughs> so fast and it, it was like in the movies where you're like running towards each other but it was it was amazing for them to be there. It was amazing for them to be on set and to for me to just have that. Um, but part of it is hard also because when you're directing, you have to be laser focused. Uh, it's that hard. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know because when they're not there, it's twenty four seven the movie. You know I, I wake up and early. I'm always first on set. You shoot all day. I don't take lunch breaks. And then I finish shooting. Then I go home. I watch dailies.
4: You miss that after you're done shooting, you go to every single department every day and say thank you to them. Thank you, Maria. Which I've never seen any director do that after a 16-hour day.
2: (laughs) I do do that because, again, we're all in this together. And I I respect the time and talent that they've put into it and, and definitely want to express that everyone so I do that then I go home I watch dailies then I work on my shot list for the next day and then you know I I go to sleep and start it all over again so when the boys are there then it's then you do feel guilty oh well I should make them dinner I should sit Mm. and play you know Um, so that part of it is hard but the trade-off is but I'm not directing. I'm home writing. So I'm home 24-7. So I'm at every single thing for the school, every mm-hmm. single thing for sports. And they know, and as I've told them, that if I didn't get to do what I loved, which was directing, I wouldn't be a good mom, you know, because I would mm-hmm. be depressed. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they understand that, too. So now that they're older, the more I can bring them into the process, whether it be having them help me choose what cars my character's Drive, you know, which they enjoy or what songs, you know, do y'all like that song? Um, Put together a playlist that I could listen to. um, And then being on set
4: um, has really been helpful. I saw them pop up in the Alicia Keys video. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Love looks better on you. It's so good. Bringing it back to writing and directing a little bit, um, if you could give young, aspiring gina's um some advice what would you say and i the advice that you gave me that was the most significant in life was just write something and i was like <laughs> well, i got oh. thanks because <laughs> 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 that's a very simple concept but when you're like oh i need to do like that it's hard to figure that out so um anything else like that that you would share
2: well I will give some advice, but I I do want to touch on that because it sounds so basic. But so many people come up to me, whether it be at a panel or reach out to me. Oh, I have this amazing idea. Can you help me? No, write it. Anybody can have a good idea. What proves if you're a writer is if you write. And the only way you're going to get better as a writer is if if you write. write. I mean, my Mm -hmm. early stuff. uh, (laughs) You know, but you just... The more that you watch good work and read good, good scripts and get reaction to the stuff that you're writing, um, you just get better and better. So you got to write. It's so it's so much easier to talk about what you want to do. No, do it. And then the second is that it, it's amazing to me how often I hear people getting advice to write what the industry wants. Mm. As opposed to my philosophy, 100% is... Your first thing you come out with should say who you are as an artist Um, and you should write what you know. You should write a story only you can tell because that's what's Mm going to make you stand out. There's a thousand different, you know, romantic comedies or action films, you know, but what what is that personal thing? What is that distinction that you can bring to the genre? And that's by digging deep and telling a personal story or focusing on a character that's very close to you. And I made that mistake when I first started out, when I was trying to write Love and Basketball and had terrible writer's block, and because I was scared. Like, who was going to give a shit about a little black girl who wants to be the first girl in the NBA? So I put it down, and I started writing a romantic comedy, which, you know, I'm sure... It just, like, I wasn't inspired by it. It was, like, it was cool, but when you're not inspired by what you're doing or you're writing, not because you're passionate, but because you've, you're just trying to write what you think others want. It's never gonna, it's just mm-hmm. too easy to get out of that chair and put it aside. But when you're writing something you're passionate about, the story you have to tell that gets you through those writer's blocks and gets you back in the chair. And, and so that's really what happened with love and basketball where, uh, I was finding like, let me just write this thing that's in my head and, you know, maybe someone will like it, maybe not, but at least I can get it down. <laughs> Casual.
5: <Yeah>. Maybe someone. <laughs> Meanwhile. You don't know before. You don't, that's the
2: thing. <laughs> you have no guarantee. Writing a spec is scary. You're, you're believing that what you are writing, millions of people are going to want to see. And people are going to give you money to make it. It's scary, but that's the thing. You've got to believe in yourself, believe in the idea, and make it real for yourself. I think, mommy. Yeah, Scene. I mean, when I write in my office, I have a bulletin board in front of me, and what I do is I cast the film and put those pictures up in front. It's my dream cast, and I just write to them as if they're going to be in it, and it helps put a voice into my head. I mm-hmm. fantasize about the premiere. Like It just gives me uh. these things to look forward to and make it real, and the more real it is, again, the it's just a little easier to get in that chair and write.
3: Um, You talked a little bit about some of the obstacles and, like, being away from your family. Is there any other, like, big obstacle to overcome on set? Uh, And then also, do you have a favorite memory?
2: I think the hardest thing about being a director, but also I think what gives me an advantage, is the stamina that it takes. Um, And I have that advantage because of sports. 18 years, uh, I played sports and probably almost every day of my life and at a really high level. And to do that, there are so many things that you have to learn about outworking everybody and mm. knowing that ambition is good, knowing that you need to, you know, to go after, to, the desire to be the best um, and uh, also stamina. And that is, the thing that you need in this industry, and you absolutely need as a director. Um, as a director, you're not allowed to get sick. You cannot have a bad day. Ah. You have to show up on set and be the leader and inspire everyone, actors, crew alike, to come aboard and give their best to help you realize your vision. And uh, there's, there's just you can't ever get away from that. If the movie does well, you get the credit. If it fails, it all falls on you. So. Hmm. You have no break from that, and there'll be shitty days, and I've had them, um, but no one's going to chiron across the screen that, you know, an actor was tripping this day, and that's why <laughs> this season not work.
3: We should start doing that.
2: <laughs> you got to make it work. So that's the thing, the stamina, and also knowing, and certainly 63 days was a lot, because prior to that, my longest shoot was 35 days. Um, wow. So to maintain the story, maintain your vision, maintain that fight. That's the thing. You're fighting every day, fighting, fighting, fighting. Um, and so you've got to stay up. So before I start every movie, I do some sort of workout thing. Before uh, Love and Basketball was basketball. I was playing uh, in a bunch of women's leagues five days a week. So that was mm-hmm. my training. And it's both physical and mental. Uh-huh. Um, Beyond the Lights was P90X.
3: Ooh, no, you didn't.
2: I'm telling you, I came out of that just cut up and ripped. Um, I will never do it again. <laughs> I
5: felt
1: like that after insanity. I was oh, like, Sean I hate you, T. Sean, T. Sean. Sean T makes it seem so fun. It ain't
3: fun, Sean. I know, stop smiling, Sean. And you're
2: hearing yeah. the same jokes and the same thing over and over. It's yes. it's, it's crazy. But and then Soul Cycle <laughs> was uh the old guard. Did Soul Cycle. Um But it it does, it gets your mind and body ready for that fight. So you got to train to to be on set in the same way you train for anything else. So um, I think just the best memories are really... (laughs) that There's a thing on set where you're chasing the perfect take. Because when you're in that moment and you see it and you feel it, it's an amazing feeling. And I've got that opportunity to witness a perfect take. You know, I think about... um, you know, an old guard when when Booker and Niall are by the fire and he's telling her about losing his sons. Like that was a perfect take. I think about Gugu and and Minnie in the kitchen scene and beyond the lights.
4: Ah, I just I, got chills. That was ah. a
2: perfect take. The, the the our whole crew applauded after. Yeah. That
4: I was your mother. I was your. I forget what she said.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, you, I you were there? Being in the
5: theater and just being like, oh my
4: God. You could feel it like, through the sc- screen. No, oh. they,
2: so imagine being on set and you were there, like to, to yeah. feel that. Um, with Sanaa, ah. you know, again, it was so fraught in terms of the basketball because I did not know if she could do the basketball, and that's a whole another story. But um, <laughs> once she started and once I was seeing these performances, um, the, the scene at uh, the window with the I'll play you for your heart, yes. I did not know if that was going to work or if it was just going to sound mad corny. And uh, <laughs> none of us did, but they did it. And I was like, wow, like I'm feeling, I'm feeling something. So those are, that's why you do it. To, to be in those moments and where it's just so real. It doesn't matter that there's 40, 50 people standing around and there's boom mics and there's lights and all that. If you're sitting there watching it and you're totally transfixed, that's the beauty of what we get to do.
4: Mm, mm, mm. Uh, when you said about the way that the director sets the tone, I remember being like, oh, she's, she knows what she's doing because the whole crew is constantly singing your praises every day because some directors come on like King Kong, like ready to fight everyone and not friendly or inviting. Um, and I just admired so much how you were able to balance getting your work done with making from crafty to the transpo people feel like they were, they belonged and their role was so important to what we were all doing.
2: I appreciate that. That that means a lot to me. And they're, I just don't find people get inspired by being scared. The other thing is, you know, I pick the people I work with very carefully. And as Mommy had alluded to, you know, she was my assistant during Beyond the Lights. And I pick very carefully because, one, I want someone to want to do what we're doing because being on set, I know I, I went to film school and learned a tremendous amount because you get to make films and you, you learn. But I learned more. I learned different things being able to shadow directors and be on, mm-hmm. on set, just the set dynamics and things like that, that you can't teach in film school. But, you know, for me, it was like almost a nightly thing at the end of the day, I would sit in the car with mommy and just download the day and the things that pissed me off or the things that were fun. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was good to absolutely, it's vital, honestly, for me to have somebody I can trust and I can just open up to and, and, and talk with and, uh, share some of my frustrations and also Mami, uh, as like she was my eyes and ears on the set like I want to know what yes. are people saying and talking and <laughs> feeling um, and she was great for that as well
5: so question if you were to like hop in a time machine and like go back to your past self like what would you say to yourself knowing what you know now to who you were when you first started directing
2: You know what? Honestly, uh, I I know I'm not fully answering your question, but I would go back a little further, Uh, honestly, to high school. I struggled mightily in in high school with self-esteem. If I didn't have sports, that was like my saving grace. Um, But self-esteem was pretty jacked in high school. So to be able to go back and say, like, what your life is going to be like at some point soon, that you're going to be okay," like... I would
3: 100% do that. Sports gives you so much. It really does. I, I love hearing that it's even helped you in directing because I know that uh, just learning how to work with the team mm-hmm. and learning how to do suicide. I remember when Coach Carter came out, <laughs> I, uh, my basketball coach was like, y'all doing suicide. We do suicide all practice. But, I, you know, I was stronger for it. Um, so it's lovely to hear that that, that translates into life.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, And... I guess last question before we get into our little lightning round game play. (laughs) You Um, better get ready. Right. (laughs) I mean, you sort of answered this, but um, your favorite moment while shooting Love and Basketball. I think you highlighted a few moments, but.
2: Yeah, I think I'm trying to think my favorite moment. I mean, there were it was it was fraught in that it was my first film. And so every film I'm worried about fucking up. No doubt. But that first one really, like, is a make or break. Will I ever get a chance to do this again? So, you know, I just had that self-imposed pressure every day. But also, just with the basketball players, you know, I cast some friends of mine, some people I play ball with. um, And so to be able to have my friends on set who, like, these are the same women I was playing ball with. And they used to laugh because... After every game, we'd usually go to Baja Fresh and sit and eat and, you know, just talk and have fun. I was always the first to leave um, because I was always saying I got to go write. And it was because I was writing love and basketball. And uh, for them to now get to be on set and see me doing this thing that I had talked about so much, like that was fun. Those days where it was just the the ball players and they were just... You know, those games that we had, a lot of it was just free play. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just, it was good, and it felt good. Um, And that whole full circle thing, given that I had always wanted to play in college, but chose UCLA where I wasn't recruited as opposed to other places where I could have played, um, to be able to, like, come full circle with basketball as well. It Mm -hmm. just, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. I think those were, were my favorite, favorite days.
1: Oh. Gina? Now we're going to play a little game called Love and Basketball Bonanza. (laughs) We're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions about love and basketball. And if you get them right, you get a prize. You get a prize. You get a prize. You get a prize. But only if you get these questions right. This is an easy one, just a starter. But you've just got paid. What night is it? Friday night. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I the oh, no, <laughs> okay. right.
4: night. Number two. Um, finish this line. Damn, girl. I didn't know Nike made. Dresses. Come on now.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> all right. All right.
5: What song was playing when Monica and Quincy got busy for the first time? Oh,
2: come on, Maxwell that's well
3: that's a hard
2: question but can I say about that oh my god I heard that when I was writing he did an unplugged MTV Unplugged Mm. and sang that song and if you've never heard that unplugged version go to YouTube it's amazing and I remember being like literally frozen as I sat and listened to it and when it was done I said to myself I gotta put that in the movie and uh, so That's how it ended
3: up in Love and Basketball. The soundtrack of Love and Basketball is just so good. The
5: Fool of Me song, literally, like it pulls every heartstring and just like tears (laughs) Mm -hmm. it to shreds. Really does. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to do it like that. You didn't have to do it. That was. Mm -hmm. was (laughs) Oh
3: (laughs) yeah. Every song. Okay, we'll see if this is a hard one. I don't know. You've been (laughs) buzzing through these. When Monica asked Quincy to play him for his heart. What does he say to her after he wins? I tell about double or nothing.
4: Yeah. <laughs> she's
3: good. No,
2: these are so easy. Come on. <laughs> oh,
4: this one is not okay. easy. Oh, maybe it is. It's okay. easy. It's easy. <laughs> I mean,
3: writer direction. it might be easy for her. <laughs> Who does Quincy jokingly say Monica's going to the dance with? It's <laughs> Paulie. Easy, Easy. the one and
5: only. Easy. <laughs> okay, last question. What company does Monica's family use when they move into Quincy's neighborhood?
2: Damn. Wow, it's Mayflower, <laughs> right? It is.
3: Ding ding Whoa. ding ding ding. ding.
2: That's a great question. That's a great question. <laughs> bravo! Bravo! So um, you
5: you win the prize. You congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you um, came through in the last
1: minute with the,
5: <laughs> Okay, I don't know
1: basketball. <laughs> so I think you know what the prize is. It is a signed copy of the 2000 New Line Cinema and Sundance award-winning film, classic Love and Basketball. So we're going to send it over to you so you can sign it. And, then,
4: <laughs> and also, I was supposed to deliver Tayana Taylor a signed poster, and I never did. So you can also have that. Um, wow. Wait, I'm what? Just <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> like, wait, what? Oh yeah. You're like Oh wait,
2: wait, what? Is that why she <laughs> had never called me back? What happened? <laughs>
3: no. Oh. Uh, no. Um, Gina,
4: this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Um this is probably our most epic episode yet. Yes. So
2: thank so you many. guys for having me.
4: Thank you mm-hmm. truly for for
5: all you do for, for black creatives and especially just your you're an icon so thank you for setting blazing the path for the rest of us
4: we love you g
5: love you y'all too. You
1: so nice. great thank you um.
5: oh y'all i cannot believe that we just had a whole kiki with gina prince Bythewood. we are about to head over to the advice section but first let's take a quick little break
0: And now in this season's must have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition bombshell escape fragrance, a free spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at Victoria'sSecret.com. Welcome
5: back. So it's time for some advice. Ashley, what you got for us this week?
3: All right. Today's letter reads, Dear O.O.D., I hooked up with this guy and we both agreed we are not going to be serious and things fizzled out. Then I hooked up with another guy with the same understanding that we were just having fun and not getting serious. The only thing is that two guys are friends and I don't know what to do. We all agreed nothing serious, but I'm scared they'll find out and resent me for it. Uh I swear I'm not a hoe. Oh, girl, Uh, it's okay. (laughs) Um, I swear I'm not a hoe, but I have participated in some hoe activity during quarantine. Would you put it all out there or just wait and hope it doesn't come up? Mm. First, no hoe here. I mean no ho here. <laughs> I I think
1: if it comes up and they playing video games and I'm just imagining the most <laughs> generic men <laughs> men play video games and they talk, be like, yo, I hooked up with da-da-da-da. Oh, you did too? Uh, whatever. And that's it. That's I mean, I doubt they'll both be like, Man, she a hoe and I don't like her and I don't wanna mess with you know, some crude uh I stuff. had that happen to a friend and the guys did not react like that.
4: They were <laughs> like Calling her every name. What mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. like their pride was hurt.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh. They want to be the only one. They want you to be just their vessel. Mm. Um, but I, my biggest thing is, Ugh, girl, that was you can right <laughs> their vessel. Ew. That's, okay. Do you understand what the patriarchy is? I know. Because part, part of, of us, is, we're just we're just a vagina to some people. <laughs> um, so, just being real. But I think that this, uh, like distancing yourself from being a hoe, is the real issue for me. You can you can sleep around and and it's okay. I think, especially if you talk to these guys, they you didn't know they were friends before you they hooked up, and even still, you let them know ain't nothing serious. So you're not you don't belong to them. You can have sex if you want to.
5: Here, here. I'm always a proponent of honesty, but you don't you're not seeing the first guy, so. Anymore, you said things fizzled out. So you are, it's a free country-ish, you know, you could do whatever you want.
4: Um, first of all, you don't own me in the first place, but you definitely don't mm-hmm. have any jurisdiction over my life or what I do if mm-hmm. we've both said we're not in a relationship. And I think it's weird when guys try to say that just so that they can do whatever they want and then, like, get mad at women for also doing what they want. So Yeah. um yeah, he. I would just say you don't need to explain anything to anybody.
1: <laughs>
3: Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. I agree. Be
1: hotastic, girl. Like <laughs> enjoy yourself out in these streets. As long as you' being safe and wrapping it up, it ain't nobody business but yours. And if they got an attitude, then move on to the next. Neither one of them your man. And how dare they speak ill of your name if you smashing both of them? separately on your <laughs> own accord. <laughs> <laughs> right. I also
3: like that she tried to blame it on quarantine. Like, right? know you was doing this before quarantine, <laughs> it was girl. Quarantine. <laughs> right. I, it I,
5: quarantine. Quarantine. I feel like quarantine reveal has revealed for a bunch of folks like what it is they truly want to do. Like, I gotta do this. I wanna do this. And if you wanna have sex, you know, and this also could turn into a best case scenario where maybe it turns into a threesome.
3: I they find out. And
4: That's <laughs> not everybody's best not case everybody's. scenario. That's some people's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> no, two men and you, two big men. And, but also some, some
1: people's <laughs> Best know. of both worlds. Yes, is that a fantasy of yours? <laughs> <laughs> two burly men taking you down at once. Y'all never. Okay, <laughs> me either.
3: Taking you down. I, I don't want two burly men taking me down, but. Paying attention to me in all the right ways, yeah, I take it.
5: (laughs) So no hoe here. You know, you should just ho here or there. Or anywhere. Or everywhere.
4: <laughs> no ho here's a, here. a <laughs> hole Everywhere's a <laughs> hole. No, <laughs> you, get a home, like, you get a but... hole,
1: you get a hole, you get a hole. Everybody gets a hole.
3: <laughs> Yasmin's rhyme felt like a Dr. Seuss hole book.
1: Yes, <laughs> Thank you is. so much.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no oh, hole well. here, you are there.
1: <laughs> oh. Girl, 2020 has been a hard year. Don't be hard on yourself. I mean, it's almost Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. All, <laughs> all the way to the, <laughs> the new year. All the way to 2021. Rhyme.
5: All right, guys, this has been such a cool-ass day. We got to chat with Gina Prince-Bythewood, hear more about her story, and we're so grateful for y'all every week coming to hang with us. Uh, make sure to share and review the podcast. Y'all
1: know it helps us out. Um, show some love. Let us know what you think. Yes, and come kiki with us on our socials, at Obama's Other Daughters on Instagram, at OOD Improv on Twitter, at Obama's Other Daughters on Facebook.
3: And if, like, no-ho here, you need some advice or someone you know needs some advice, go ahead and send us a letter at OODpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to do our best to help y'all out.
4: We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: You Down is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.